Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This podcast is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and I pay my respects to their elders past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples listening here today. Sovereignty was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to Reclaim Me. I'm your host, Madeline Heather. Reclaim Me is a true crime podcast told by those at the centre of those crimes, the victim survivors. The general public often hears stories of victim survivors through the lenses of perpetrators or the media, and we're changing that narrative here. These interviews are raw and honest, so a word of warning is necessary as discussion and topics may be triggering or distressing for some listeners, so please use your discretion. If you need help or support, please see the suggested resources in the show notes of this episode or contact your local crisis service. Hi fam, and welcome back to another episode of Reclaim Me. This week, we're picking right back up where we left off last week with part two with Holly. Now, I did want to say, if you haven't already listened to part one, please go back and listen to that first. Otherwise, it's not going to make much sense where we pick up from here. And again, I do want to just make a very quick statement that Holly and I are discussing thoughts, feelings, and opinions about an allegation that was made. We are acknowledging that the person that is at the center of these allegations strenuously denies that these occurred and also that he has actually been found not guilty in the court of law. It doesn't mean that Holly and I don't have thoughts, feelings, and opinions on that though. So, We are going to just make that statement at the beginning. It is important to state that before we get stuck into part two again. But let's get straight back stuck into our chat with Holly. The conversation went on for a little bit longer and he said words to the effect of, I've been really battling lately because I didn't think I was capable of something like that. So this is four to six weeks after the um, offending or alleged offending after the incident. Um, He's said he didn't think he was capable of something like that. So he's still of the mind that something went down a month to a month and a half later. Yeah, so that was all recorded. All the witnesses gave their statements. And I pretty much from there freaked out and was like, no, I can't do this. This is way too much. This is way too real. And I made a statement of no complaint. I think that's what it's called, where you withdraw the charges. And this was in about January. So I said, too much, can't handle. And then sort of tried to go on with life as normal, um, sort of thought this would have scared scared the shit out of him because he he was completely aware of what was going on and that I had started the process of pressing charges against him. Um, And I was like, maybe that's enough. Like maybe that will show him that I can scare him and 
show him to like be a good guy or something like you know um but it wasn't (laughs) and he he sort of just kept doing the same thing like showing up to events not having any consideration for my feelings or what I might want showing no remorse like saying what I said happened was all made up and not true um and after about six months of that I was like like I can't this is worse than this saying nothing is worse than saying something so I went back to the police and reopen the case um and this is halfway through 2019 so they opened the investigation up again and the start of 2020 he was um formally charged with rape and aggravated burglary I think it's a good point to yeah thank you um for going through that I think there's two points like first of all I think it's really important that you've kind of outlined that process that you went through because I think so many people are going to listen to that and not realize that they can make an obligation-free or have an obligation-free discussion with a member of the socket team. And in Victoria, that's the sexual offenses and child abuse investigation team. It's really important that people, I guess, know that you can do that. You can withdraw it or you can stop it at any stage. Like you said, like you can go into a police station and have a discussion and begin the process and stop and then restart it again later on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like that detective had said to you, this specialist detective had said to you, you've got so many options for moving forward. So I think that's a great thing to highlight. Moving on from that though, like the charges that he was formally charged with being the sexual assault and the aggravated burglary, Mm -hmm. um, that's what I think we mentioned earlier, that aggravated burglary, and you were describing the fact that they're, that there's different levels of different charges. So they've gone for aggravated burglary, which has a different uh, level of criminality to it than breaking and entering, which we don't have in Victoria. We've got trespassing. Yeah. So we have have the offence of trespass, which to – I won't get too legal, but trespass is quite a a a minor offence and it's heard – if someone's charged with it, it's heard in the magistrate's court. It's something called a summary offence. So really can, like low-level offending, um, six-month maximum jail to, um, sentence would be available and um, like a fine would usually be given for something like that. And in Victoria, you cannot have jury trials for summary offences. So that wasn't, he wasn't charged with that. He was charged with aggravated burglary which even as a law student at the time I didn't understand but um burglary is entering a premises um and then the aggravated aspect is entering a premises with the knowledge or reckless to having knowledge that someone's in the house so that aggravates it which makes it more serious pretty much so um yeah, and that was always going to be the more difficult charge to prove because for aggravated burglary to be successfully proven, um, prosecution has to prove that at the time that he entered my house, he had the intention to commit a crime. So not that he like formed the intent after he'd entered the house. It had to be at the time of entering the property. So that's quite, yeah, that's quite difficult to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. And then obviously he was also yeah. charged with rape, which I'm... I think a lot more people know the the legalities behind that and what that involves. It was quite shocking to me when you told me the the charges as well because, you know, I think most regular general members of society would assume that, 
you know, anything that you've done during the commission or the night of a crime, mm. the commissioning of a crime, that that would all be able to be considered under one mm. umbrella, mm. you know, and, and, you know, I don't know, I just assumed that there would be a charge called like um, unlawfully entering a property mm. without consent or something, like something that would make sense for that. But it seems like, you know, this is a middle ground offence so that they can bring it to the same trial as the sexual assault offence, which is just, it's quite confusing because I think if people don't understand the way that the court works and the way that the offences work. It's quite a confusing mm. thing to understand that you're in this situation because of the ways that the laws are written, which puts you in a predicament. But I'm not sure if having the two charges confused things as well because, like, obviously for the charge of rape, you look to the circumstances surrounding the alleged incident and you say, was was this person reasonable in their belief of consent? Um, if he thought that they, that person was consenting, was that belief reasonable? And you look to the circumstances around that. With the offence of rape, you look to the circumstances surrounding the incident. So you've got to prove that um, some would, that the complainant wasn't consenting. And if the person accused of rape thought that the complainant was consenting, that that belief was unreasonable. So to prove unreasonableness, you look to the surrounding circumstances, which would be the fact that he broke in or the fact that I was intoxicated. But I think maybe, and we'll never know because we never, we're never going to find out what swayed the jury either way, but I'm not sure if maybe that confused things a little bit, that there was, that there was the charge for breaking in when, like, in my opinion, that should have been weighing on the reasonableness um, in the belief of consent rather than its own separate charge. But I mean, like at the same time, the facts were there for that charge as well. Otherwise the prosecution wouldn't have brought it forward, but I'm not sure if it, yeah, confused things a little bit. And I think, you know, for most people who've heard any part of your story, it's been told in a few different forums so far as well. Um, and I think one of the most shocking things is that you do have admissions. You've mm -hmm. got written admissions and then you've got basically an admission in that phone call that you were describing. And then you've also got the admission in court, you know, where there was an admission that the door was locked. Mm. There was entry made without you being there to let the person mm. in. So I think, you know, one comes to it of their own, but in my opinion, I think that it's, I think that it's clear that you weren't there letting somebody into your house. And I think it's something that we need to fix within the system mm. that, you've only got the top of the offence to go at for that mm. and you don't have the other things that could be circumstantially building for your major item mm. being the sexual assault. And I think that's really frustrating that it puts you in a position that's on the back foot. It's not fair and, you know, in any circumstance it's not fair for anybody to have to go through this and we will respect the fact that the, that the jury has spoken mm. You know, we were just saying before, sadly, today um, being, what's the date, the 20th, 25th, 25th. Yeah. being the 25th of October, um, you know, the news has come out today uh, through the Brittany Higgins trial that the jury is unable to come to a verdict. And that, that was what happened in your case as well, mm -hmm. wasn't it, for a period mm -hmm. of time? Yeah. So what happened in my case was the jury was sent out for deliberations um, and after some time on the first day they they came back in and said, we can't agree. 
which it's basically what has happened, unfortunately, um, in the Bruce Lerman trial is the jury has said, we can't agree. And then the judge gives, I'm not sure about what happens in Canberra, but um, in Victoria, the judge gives something called a perseverance direction, which is where she sort of, she basically said to the jury in this case, my case, go home, like come back with a fresh mind um, and keep trying the next day. Um, and then after the, the second day, they came back with um, not guilty on both charges of rape and aggravated burglary. So, yeah, that's that's what happened with the jury in my case. It's really important for me to say as well because obviously seeing the coverage that this has gotten online, which is like it's, it's fairly minimal, but the rhetoric that I've seen amongst the public is like, what's wrong with that jury? Like, that they like they got this wrong. Like, how do they sleep at night? And I just want to make it really clear that like I don't feel that way about the jury. And I guess like you you could probably say that I would have a right to feel that way, but I don't. And I think. I have a lot of empathy for them trying to make a decision that is incredibly difficult. Like beyond reasonable doubt is very tricky to explain as well. It's it's not something that like a lay person understands. Um, and the jury sees everything that happens in the courtroom. So they're, they're there for the theatrics of the courtroom, whether that's the, the guy's family sitting in, sitting in court crying for the whole trial or people his friends coming in saying he's a good guy like yeah the jury's not supposed to be swayed by that but when you see it it's human nature to feel empathy for people even people that have allegedly done horrible things and I can understand and like I'm grateful that I wasn't in a position like that to have to make a decision like that because yeah I mean I guess I I guess I just want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that they and obviously there were people in there that that thought that he should be found guilty um but it just, unfortunately, it wasn't enough. And I completely understand and agree with that. And, you know, it's your opinion and it's a way that you feel and it's important that other people understand that however you feel in this moment is completely okay. Mm-hmm. And there's no rule book in how you should feel about certain things. There's no um, way forward other than, you know, to say that, you know, it's not the outcome that was wanted, obviously, mm-hmm it's disappointing. And I think the the difficult thing for the public is that, you know, there's something in writing and, mm. you know, and I, I hate to say it like this, but I think it's just, you did so many things right, mm. you know, and it's really difficult to, to have discussions about other people coming forward. And when this is kind of what we see, it's mm. just like, it just, it can feel deflating, I think mm. for many people, because, as much as it's not the jury's fault and as much as it's, it, it is what it is with the evidence that was given, it's also just like the system works in a way to give offenders or alleged offenders so much bandwidth mm. and so much in the way that they've got other supports and so much to be found guilty, that's everybody needing to find that person mm. guilty. To be found not guilty, it, it, that's the reasonable doubt mm. and that's the difficult thing. The burden of proof is stacked against you. Mm. And it is, it's just that thing where it's more system, it's more systemic, it's more system-based and there are things that are in your way as a victim or an alleged victim of a crime coming forward that are in your way that go way before you've gotten to court and even during the proceedings of the court, mm. you know. Um, I think that there are just so many factors that we need to fix 
before we can go anywhere near blaming a jury. Absolutely. And I think as well, like the jury is obviously the world that we live in today. And this jury has grown up in that world. And I guess for me, I had hope because I was like, surely they'll respect the safety of your own home and they'll they'll say, he broke in, that's not okay. Or he's apologised, like it's clear that he knew what he did. Um, and I, I guess that's why, like I had hope because I thought to me it was so clear what had happened. But unfortunately what happened, which is quite uncommon in a lot of cases of this kind, but he got up and took, he gave evidence, which um, people accused of a crime don't have to do. They've got the right to remain silent not give evidence at trial and not be cross-examined. Um, I, I mean, I believe that he didn't really have any other choice because the evidence was so clear or there was a lot to say that he had done this. And he, he got up and took the stand and pretty much filled in all the gaps in my memory with his version of events, which um, I can't remember. So I couldn't say that's not true. But what I was saying at the trial was, I don't think that's something I would do. I can't say no because I don't remember, but that's not me. That's like not the type of person that I am. And there's, there's problems too where um, people accused of a crime, like defence witnesses can be coached in what to say. Prosecution witnesses can't. So I went in there pretty much blind. Like they were like, just answer the questions and like be honest. And if you don't know, say you don't know. But like his team's able to pretty much tell him exactly what to say when he gets up and gets cross-examined. So there's that as well, the the inequality there too. Yeah, and I think that's another thing is where you've got two people that are witnesses that are on different ends mm. that are complete that are treated completely differently and that's in and of itself quite shocking as well. Like there are so many things that I've I've heard through your own experience and some recent experiences that have come through that are just shocking in the sense that there are there are two different things and I think the frustration that I have is that it seems to be less about probative evidence mm. and more about an act or a performance and, you know, the creation of reasonable doubt being pushing certain stereotypes onto a jury or pushing certain things that may be infactual, which if the, if you were to do that in a court of law, technically that would be perjury because you're pushing forward a narrative that you know isn't true Mm. so there are things like that that are just so double standards that are bullying almost of the witness and the person that's come forward to allege a crime and it is just the thing that frustrates me the most is just that you would think that it would be purely based on probative evidence Mm. and it just doesn't seem that that's the case no unfortunately unfortunately not and I think as well what's difficult is um I mean, I went into this with my eyes wide open. I've watched enough TV to know that, like, the way that um, witnesses in sexual assault trials are treated can be quite awful. But I was not prepared for what I went through um, at the trial. Um, There's something, just to take it back a little bit, there's something called a committal hearing in Victoria, which is basically where the evidence is all put forward before a magistrate and tested to check that there's enough evidence for a trial. So I was cross-examined by a defence barrister at that time as well. So I'd already been through it and I was like, okay, that was gross but not terrible. And I've gone into this trial think sort of expecting gross but not terrible. And <laughs> I was wrong. It was awful. So much worse than I ever thought it would be. And 
I mean, I left, I left that room and my friend was sitting in the room, a good friend of mine was sitting in the room with me um, as a support person watching me give evidence. And I left that room and I said, if anybody came to me and said, should I report a sexual offence, I'd say don't do it because I would never want them to go through what I went through then, um, which is awful. Like it, it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't be that like that was one of the most traumatising experiences of the whole situation was being cross-examined. Um, and I just don't think like I understand people have a job to do, but I don't think it had to have been done so brutally. And unfortunately, I'm well aware that I probably had it easy compared to other people. And I just can't imagine what it would be like being any worse than that. So I think, yeah, that's another problem. There should be some serious boundaries with the way that people can speak to people. I mean, I was coming forward and saying the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my whole life like telling 12 strangers who I effectively want these people to believe me enough to hold somebody accountable and I'm just being like shot down like attacked is what I would say like it was just awful um and I don't think that's acceptable (laughs) yeah I don't either and I think you know anybody who knows anything about you know human behavior who's even had a conversation with somebody in their fucking lifetime Mm -hmm would be able to tell you that berating somebody is not the best way to be probative of evidence. Mm. Like, And I keep saying that because it is so important. If you go in yelling at somebody and being accusatory and horrible to them, they're just going to become defensive. Mm. They're going to get very scattered in their thinking. Mm. And it's not an environment where normal people are used to being fucking yelled at and intimidated and bullied. And I think that is never going to be a situation that you're going to get the truth out of. And it's just that this process, this court process is not about finding the truth. Mm. It's about putting on a show Mm. and unsettling you, the person who's decided to come forward, Mm. the, you know, the 1% that's made it to court Mm. and to, to then berate you like that is just, I just don't see the value that it could possibly add in determining whether what you're saying is true or not. I mean, it was just cruel. Like that's 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 the only word I can use to describe it is cruel. Yeah, it just didn't have to be done like that, you know. And I think when you've yeah. got somebody crying so hard that they're choking and can't breathe, that's not justice. That's not an attempt at justice. That's just trying to break somebody down so much that they can't form an articulate response to the absurdities that you're throwing at them. And that's exactly what happened. Like I was unable to talk because I was struggling to breathe (laughs) and crying so much. And like, that's not justice. (laughs) It's not at all. And, you know, um, this podcast is so much about giving victim survivors a voice and their own voice back. So I would never censor you. And it, it is so upsetting to hear somebody say, that they wouldn't recommend to ever do that again to another Mm. person because, I mean, we just have such a lack of accountability for people who perpetrate these crimes. And one of those reasons is what you've just described is the fear of that Mm. and then you're substantiating it and Mm. you're telling the truth, do you know what I mean, Mm. in this circumstance where you're you're talking about your experience. And I'm not saying that in any way against you. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's so hard for people to understand why it is so important that and how this ecosystem works that really oppresses victims' mm-hmm. voices and oppresses the truth coming out, 
because people aren't coming forward because they don't want to be re-traumatized, because they don't want to be bullied on a stand, because they don't want to have to go through what you've just described. And it's just... Mm. And that's the thing as well. It's been like a very difficult couple of weeks for me for so, so many reasons. I mean obviously. But I think one of the things is there's a feeling of guilt too, because I'm being outspoken about this because it's so wrong that you can have so much evidence and still not get the outcome that you want. And I'm being outspoken because I think cases like this clearly show the problem that when you've got so much and it's still not enough, what about all the other people that are never going to have this much? And there's there's a part of me that feels so guilty because there's got to be a lot of people looking at this going, well, I don't have anything close to that. What hope do I have? Um, and there's a bit of guilt there for me, like being outspoken about it because I'm like, far out. Like if I saw that and as a victim, I probably would never go forward. And that's why we need to change because it's setting such a bad example to people. It's basically like if you, if something happens to you, pick up, brush off, try and forget about it because God knows you're not going to get the justice you want down the line. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. 100%. And I stand by you, but I think the reason as well to, um, I guess, spin that somewhat is that the only way to make change is to raise the problem. Mm. And Mm. the only way that we're going to force change in this area is to get loud and make the rubber meet the road. And each state does it differently, but there needs to be some federal oversight in in my honest opinion over the way that victim survivors of these crimes are treated. Mm. They still have the lowest rates of the lowest report rates of any crime. They have the lowest by far conviction rates of any crime. And they're also precursor offences for more heinous and horrendous crimes down the line. So it's not that by not being able to convict somebody is literally putting the public in consistent danger. Mm -hmm. 
because most of these offenders as well are multiple offenders because like this case, they go, there's evidence against them, they get let off. Instead of it being a situation where they're like, thank God I got off, um, I'm going to be a good person now, a lot of men and entitled men who feel entitled enough to feel, and maybe we won't say it in this case, men in general who feel entitled enough to act in a way to sexually assault somebody, mm. in my opinion, <laughs> I'm just going to pepper that through, <laughs> they are, are already entitled enough to do that act. The getting off of a serious offence crime, even when there's evidence against them, only emboldens them more. Mm. And sadly, all they've learned from that situation, and we see this a lot over in the States, when people progress to more serious offences, all they've learned is that now there's a victim that's spoken out against them and that's what they have to stop for their next offence. And that's the terrifying thing with the nature of abuse. You know, sadly today the 41st woman who was murdered um, was named and I'm beyond sad that we've had to announce that um, in a year you know, that we're getting to the stage where there's more than one, one, one woman a week. We need to think about the impacts of the system that we have in place that clearly is not working. Mm. And it should be a system, you know, where, where, you know, even in the situation here where the person has been found not guilty, maybe it didn't meet the burden of proof, mm. but the, you've come out the other end not feeling more traumatised than when you went in, exactly. that you can turn around and be like, I was treated fairly, mm. The evidence that the jury heard was fair, mm. it was equal, mm. it was equitable, and then that's where you go through it from there. You can turn around and at least dust your hands and say that was the best experience I could have had and I was treated fairly as somebody and I believe that it was a fair outcome. Exactly. But you turn around in this situation and you've been berated and abused and traumatised through having to go through this system and it's just not something that people should be able to turn around and feel proud of. Yeah, exactly, and I think further to that um, – I mean, people get very touchy when you talk about reforms to the system that they think is not broken is working fine. And, I mean, we have seen recently reforms to um, affirmative consent laws, um, which is great, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It would have made absolutely zero difference in my case because those laws couldn't be applied to my case because um, the laws were made after the offence was alleged offence was committed. But even if they were in play, it wouldn't have changed a thing. And I think, like, yes, it's amazing that we're we're taking the right steps in the right direction, but there needs to be, like, addressing whether there's a, a separate offence for when somebody that you know assaults you. And, again, I can see the problems with that because call a spade a spade, like, if that's what it is. But if we, it's something to get conviction rates up, we need to do that. Or whether it's removing the burden from a jury who who probably is incapable or shouldn't be asked to make such a, a difficult to understand um, decision. They need to specialise yeah. a court or something. Like, there needs to be something done to the system rather than the laws because I think, or the laws, but I think addressing the system is really important here as well because there's, there's definitely some room for improvement. Oh, 100%. And as an improvement specialist, honestly, I just look at this and I just go, there's so many different ways that you can get to an outcome Mm. and take a path that's better travelled, in my opinion. Mm. I think the difficult thing is, um, as well, with your case and a case that um, you'll be hearing from, which is the case of Maddie, who's come on the podcast to share her story as well. It is incredible to me that there also seems to be this outpouring of empathy for this young, white, privileged Mm. man 
who has access to the best attorneys in Australia and who also I think there is this misconception or I guess vibe, I don't know exactly how to say it, there is this vibe where I think juries and people as well, especially like judges and things like that, feel like the sentence of a sexual assault, especially a penetrative, aggravated sexual assault, is a major crime. Mm. It's a major sexual violent crime. I think the maximum's ten years, right, in prison for for um in my- for the aggravated sexual assault. Um, yeah, it was twenty five years for mine. There you go, twenty five years. This is a major, major crime that this person's going up against. Mm-hmm. And I think that there is this sense of boys will be boys or he made an innocent mistake. He's, you know, he's he's probably done it, but we don't want to ruin his life. And I think that there's that underlying culture where it's a young, white, privileged boy who has this inherent patriarchy sitting over the top of it that blurs everything and makes it seem like we should feel sorry for him if we find him guilty of what he's done. And I think that's honestly a vibe that I get from a few of the cases I've recently heard, especially in the case of Maddie, who got a conviction Mm. in her case, um, a conviction for the penetrative sexual assault. The standard prison sentence was between five and seven years and he got a good behaviour bond. Mm. And I think when you turn around and look at that, it's just these young, privileged white, and that's what I see as three common themes and three common pillars across the board Mm is that there's this, do you think that there is this underlying empathy that we don't want to ruin their lives? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's difficult because when you see someone you know, like not someone you know, but someone that looks like someone you know, like I'm sure in all, like the case that you were just speaking about. And in my case, this guy looks like your mate, your brother, your son, your grandson. And it's really scary I think for people to look at someone that looks like so familiar in so many ways and go they might be capable of something awful and I think it's probably you can understand why people shy away from that and are scared of really saying that's not right and holding people accountable because when they do that it's sort of admitting that like maybe their perception of people is off yeah there's like that you look at them and you look at their potential like this guy's got his whole life ahead of him. Like we don't want to ruin that. And I, yeah, it just it sort of spits in the face of people that have had their whole life turned upside down um, as a result of the decision that this person made. Because that's the thing we've been put in this situation against our will, and we didn't decide this, but the other person decided to do what they did and uproot somebody else's life but it's it's like well we shouldn't punish them for that which just doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me at all yeah it takes that accountability away instead of it's like this person has done something that has resulted in the consequences they're now facing it's just like we the jury or we society or we people's friends uh, shouldn't be imposing sentences on this person kind of thing. We shouldn't be. Not that they've done something or the alleged offender or whatever has done something wrong to require consequences, but that if we implement them that somehow we as society are going against this unwritten rule mm. and they don't deserve to be held to account. And I think, yeah, it just – I think that from from what I've seen, it just feels – 
it feels sad. And honestly, I think with the deaths in custody that we currently have in Australia right now and the systemic racism problem that we have in Australia right now, it just makes me think like if this case was tried and the defendant wasn't white mm. um, or was from a different background, would there have been a different outcome? And I genuinely, you know, have seen so many cases where I think that the burden of proof is different depending on you what you look like. And I think that's not a justice system. It's not a proper system that's working. It's not an equitable system. No, and I agree. And I think that's the thing um, is that we need more certainty as well going into stuff like this where when you've got certain facts present, it's pretty clear that there will be um, a conviction and it's not based on what the person looks like or what their background is. It should be based, based on what they've done and what the evidence is in front of you. And at the moment you go into these things blind, it's like, well, if you get a good jury or if you look a certain way, it, it's all such a like open field, like playing field. And it's this, I think that's what the big problem is, is that there's so many factors, like you say, that can come into play that shouldn't but do because it's human nature to judge people and put people in a box because that's that's how people understand the world a lot of the time is by putting people in boxes and that's what feels safe for them but that doesn't help us here um I mean we know that we know that's what people do but we're still relying on this system where we're telling people to not do what they've always done which is to put people in boxes to understand the world like to me it's just it's it's asking too much yeah it's asking too much of people who have been briefed over one day to be a juror Mm -hmm. You know, it's not something that you're professionally trained in either to not see bias everywhere that you look. Mm. Um, but unfortunately, you're right, you do. I don't know why when you were just saying, I was just like, we need them to be double blind. Like we need, <laughs> it's purely based on evidence. It's double blind. You can't see the defendant or the person who has made the complaint. It should not be based on age looks. You know, I'm just thinking of even a recruitment process. Exactly. You know, it's it's impossible to say that your own biases don't get in the way because it is. You can't just direct a jury and say, don't also, just letting you know, don't let your biases get in the way. It's just like. They're not going to. Yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not capable of that. Like even if they try not to, they'll still do it. And I think that's the thing. There might be some people as well listening to this and sort of like, like screaming like or not even just like, well, judges don't get it right either. And no, they don't. Judges, judges can be racist, sexist, bigots. But the, the difference is that a jury doesn't have to give reasons for a decision when they make a decision and we will never know how they got to that decision. But a judge, when passing the judgment, writes it down, reads it out, and then you can appeal based on their reasoning for getting to the decision that they got to. And somebody else can go and scrutinise that person's decision-making process. So already that's better because, yes, judges might get it wrong sometimes, but at least you they have to be accountable to how they got to that decision and then somebody else can later on scrutinize it if it doesn't look like they've gotten to that decision in a fair way like it, again it wouldn't be perfect but it would be better and we just need to try yeah. and be better thank you so much for coming on I guess like to close up like how how are you going now I mean I know that it's been crazy for you to answer your question I guess it, it it's so it's so tricky to explain because I've always been the type of person I've got a very like tough exterior like I've come on here and I've not gotten emotional once and I think sometimes people see that I'm like she's fine but (laughs) I'm not fine I'm okay I've got amazing people around me and I think like I struggle every day with the unfairness of what happened um 
And I think in a way, seeing the outrage that has come from the outcome of this case, it's like it provides me comfort and I feel vindicated by that. But at the same time, it just reiterates that like everybody else can see it. So why couldn't these people? And yeah, so there's a, there's the struggle with the unfairness and just uh, just feeling a little bit defeated at the moment, to be honest. But I think I, I have confidence that it will get better eventually. And to get, leave people on a more positive note, because I know that was probably not the most powerful way to finish this up. Um, I just want to say, like, obviously this has been awful and not what I wanted it to be, but. Like I, I live a very full and happy life still, and um, being the being a victim to something like this doesn't have to define the rest of your life. And you will find, unfortunately, sometimes it's a hard way to find out. But it, you get rid of the weeds in your life, and you see the people, you see the best in the people around you, and the way that the people that matter will rally around you when you need them to. And that's been amazing, and that's been priceless to see the support but yeah I won't lie it's not it's not easy but it it will get better I'm sure absolutely and you've got an army of people around you you know even the people that don't know you that are fellow victim survivors that truly care and and are rallying around you currently in any way to support you because I think when one of us hurts we all hurt but Mm. you know together we can help to lift each other up as well. And I think that's incredible, but thank you. Is there anything else that you wanted to share? I know that we've covered a lot and we didn't, we might've missed some stuff, but I will say as well, if there's something that we've missed, um, I'd love to have you back on for a chat. Sure. I mean, I, let's see if we can, <laughs> I can't think of anything right now. There probably is, but I just, sometimes I feel like I ramble and <clears throat> necessarily say anything <laughs> important, but we'll see. We'll see if there's anything else. I'm not off the top of my head at the moment though. So I just want to I want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story. Um, I know that it's incredibly difficult, and I think it is worth reiterating that fact that you know just because you're not being emotional by telling this story does not mean that you're not feeling things right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's quite a recent outcome, and things will change as they go on. But you do have the support um, of the army of survivors that you know that have paved the way before you, and I think it's an incredible thing that you've been able to do and that you are doing by using your experience to voice current problems that are going on in the system that we do need to fundamentally talk about. Otherwise they will never change. And I think it's incredible that you're doing this. So thank you so much. I I haven't actually done this in a while and I need to start it again, mm-hmm. but um, I do always end most episodes on if somebody was going through what you've gone through, what would be a piece of advice that you would give to them, whether it be the beginning, the middle, the end, is there a piece of advice you'd give something to somebody that's gone through something similar or going through something Yeah, similar. it's tricky because advice, like a lot of the time it's quite a personal thing to give to each person, like individual person. And, I mean, I can I can sing the same song that a lot of people sing, which is it's not your fault, like don't blame yourself. But I think for me, and this maybe isn't advice, but something that I would want to hear is, yes, this awful thing has happened to you and I'm so sorry that it has happened to you, but you, the the gift that it gives you is this incredible empathy that n- not a lot of other people have. The only people that have been through something so awful will have. Um, and you've got the ability now to listen to people and to understand people and to give really good advice and amazing support. And I think that's something that, that you should cherish is the fact that now, like, yes, something awful has happened to you, but 
believe me, you will start to be like an amazing support person for other people in your life and be able to pump other people around you up. And I, I don't know that for me, like as somebody that likes to help people around me, um, that's something that I've noticed that I'm more able to say the right thing now. Um, and that's a gift to me. Like that's a, it's a massive gift to be able to help those around you. Um, and it's not really spoken about a lot um, amongst victim survivors, but it, I think truly that's something really special that comes out of stuff like this. 100%. Um, if people want to get in contact with you, how can they get in contact with you and, and how can they show any support for you? Yeah, so um, Instagram is probably the best way. My name's Holly Harris um, on Instagram. I'm sure you'll be able, <laughs> be able to find me. I'm, I try to be responsive. Obviously, it depends on the mood I'm in, but, um, yeah, Instagram is probably the best way to get in touch with me. Yes, I'll um I'll link your Instagram in the show notes for this episode. But no, I just I just want to say thank you profoundly again, and you will always be welcome here. And I I genuinely just want to say thank you because I do think that you are by what you are doing is going to help so many people. Oh, thank you. I mean, um, if it helps one person, I'm happy. You know, like if it helps one person to not feel the shame because it's not your shame, it's the other person's shame. So even one person that like my, that's my job done. So thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to have a chat. Thanks so much. And I couldn't end on a better note than that. Absolutely. Amen. Um, wow. Thank you so much, Holly, for coming on and sharing your story. I know that it's going to help so many victim survivors and other people in the community to better understand what people have to go through in the system and in the current system that we currently have right now. Additionally, I want to say thank you because the candid nature of this discussion I think is just incredible. Just by going through exactly what even Holly, as she just said, is experiencing right now in terms of not always being okay. It's a discussion that we need to consistently have and we need to make sure that we're having that with each other as well and opening the door for conversations with other victim survivors I do want to say as well that in getting to know Holly over the past few weeks and months, one of the things I've been struck by so much is how much she's completely and utterly dedicated to working and advocating for victim survivors. So even in the absolute aftermath and very recent outcomes of what she's had to go through or what she is currently still going through, we're seeing her come through as an incredible advocate in many different forums and spaces and sharing what she's had to go through in the hopes that it helps somebody else. And I think that it's just an incredible thing to reflect on. And I want to say kudos to you, Holly, because I know that you will be helping so many other people just by being yourself and sharing your story. If this has touched any of you, if you do want to get in touch, you can get in touch with her via the show notes in this episode, or you can send a message of just support. Go and tell her that you've listened to the podcast, send a message, get in touch with me and I can send it over to her as well. I think that it's incredible when we've got victim survivors coming onto this platform that they hear from the people that are listening to them as well. It just makes it a little bit more real. Uh, But I do want to say thank you again and thank you so much for listening to Reclaim Me. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you do need help or support, please reach out to those crisis services or suggested resources in the show notes for this episode. Have a look after yourself and make sure that you're doing and taking the time that you need to process the information or to process anything that may have come up that was triggering for you. 
Lastly, I do have one ask. Can you please take the time to rate and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and any platform that you listen to Reclaim Me on? This helps tremendously with me reaching additional people and making sure that we get the word out there that there is no shame or stigma that should be associated with being a victim of these crimes. If you could also share this podcast with somebody you may know, as you may not be a survivor yourself, but you sure as hell know one. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.